passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning uh, again, everyone, and and happy Father's Day to uh, the fathers out there. Uh, It is uh, great to be here with you this morning as we continue our work uh, or our journey through uh, the Ten Commandments. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments for the last month or so, and we've really been focusing on the the freedom that we can find in the Ten Commandments. The, The Ten Commandments are not just a way for us to live, but they actually are, in, in, in all actuality, the most important way for us to live, to experience God's plan for flourishing in our lives. And there's freedom available to us if we live by these commandments. In the Gospels, Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? And he responds really by summing up the, the entirety of the Ten Commandments by saying this in Mark chapter 12. We've looked at this the last couple of weeks. Jesus answered, the most important commandment is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, when he's asked this question about what's the most important thing to God, what's the closest commandment to God's heart, says uh, in the Old Testament that the, the two halves of the Ten Commandments are all about vertical love, our relationship with God, and they're also about horizontal love, our, our relationship with one another. And this morning, we're looking at the fourth commandment. This is the last commandment uh, in what's called the first table. The first table focusing on our relationship with God. In other words, this commandment is primarily about how we are to love God wholeheartedly. So, if you want to love God wholeheartedly, God has something to say about how you work as well as how you rest. This call to a wholehearted love of God is not done as a way to to earn God's favor, to merit God's favor. Instead, in the context of the Ten Commandments, it is a response to what he has already done for us. Remember the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are found. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here in Exodus 20, God reminds the people of Israel what he's already done for them, how he's already saved them out of slavery, and now how they are to live. The Ten Commandments are based upon that. They're based upon what God has already done. And I think that this morning's uh, commandment, this commandment to rest, this commandment of the Sabbath, is especially powerful. It's especially relevant for us today in our culture, this charge to set aside a day for rest. You see, we live in a culture that sees busyness as something that is to be uh, exemplified. We wear it oftentimes as a badge of honor, speak with virtually anyone. You can do it before church, you can do it with your neighbor or, or anyone. You, you speak with them and you say, how has your week been? And most likely they will respond, busy. I confess that I am, uh, this is a chronic statement of mine. We so often wear busyness as, as a mark of honor in today's culture. And to say that you're not busy, to, to avoid this, is actually essentially the equivalent of saying that you are lazy, You see, resting is a serious problem today. Frequent busyness, 
without taking intentional rests, leads us to burnout, a state of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion from living at too fast of a pace for too long. The Christian publishing company Crossway recently did a survey of their evangelical readers and asked about the question of burnout. And what they found was, was relatively surprising. They found that among evangelicals, those who follow the word of God or try to follow the word of God, over 75% of men have experienced burnout and over 90% of women have experienced burnout in their lives. This has led to medical issues. This has led to relational stress, broken relationships, and it has led to many using sin as a way to cope. In the midst of this context, this is such a serious problem facing us, it should be no surprise that God speaks to the issue of rest. In fact, the issue of rest is one of the biggest pieces, it's the longest commandment in the Ten Commandments as we look at this passage. It's found throughout the Old Testament, this charge to rest, the importance of taking a Sabbath. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along, starting in Exodus 20. We're going to be in verse 8 and following. Hear these words of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here we see that God demands that his people rest. But this rest is, is far more than just taking a nap on Sunday afternoons, although I will tell you uh, unequivocally that is included in this command. God commands us to rest, but specifically for us to rest with a purpose. And that's what the fourth commandment is all about. It's the purpose behind our rest. The fourth commandment could be summed up by saying this. God gives us the Sabbath for restoration and realignment. He gives us the Sabbath for restoration and realignment. The fourth commandment, all about rest, but it is not just a mindless rest. It is a rest that God has given to us with a purpose for restoration and realignment. So as we look at this passage, let's, let's explore what this means by looking at the call to rest from this commandment. Uh, we're going to look at the call of the Sabbath, first as a call to work, second as a call to rest, and then finally, as a call to something greater. So first, let's look at the, the first one, a call to work. It is significant that the fourth commandment, this commandment to rest, is first and foremost a commandment for us to work. Notice the, the truth that's found in this charge. We must work rightly in order for us to rest fully. We must work rightly in order for us to rest fully. God is the creator of the universe, and so as the creator, it follows that we should follow our maker's plan for our flourishing as something that is worth considering. In fact, we should follow it until proven otherwise, until it is proven to be something that's not worth following. We should assume that God knows best. And as we're soon going to see, one of the ways that God created you, one of the ways that God created me, one of the ways God creates each and every 
person is for us to thrive on consistent rhythms of work and rest. If you work too much, it will kill you. Quite literally, the Japanese actually have a a word for death that is caused by overwork. Too much work has been shown in study after study after study to have a negative impact on a person's health and on a person's life expectancy. But if you rest too much, it will also kill you. A recent study by the Oregon State University uh, Department that, that focused on this shows that the mortality rate among those who retire earlier and do nothing but leisurely activities is actually much significantly higher than those who retire later or those who participate in some sort of work after their retirement. God created us to live a healthy pattern of work and rest with too much of one or too much of the other being a detriment to our health. And contrary to popular opinion, work is not a four-letter word in the Bible. Lance Morrow, he was a, a former uh, writer for the Time magazine. He, he summed up the prevailing view of work in our culture as something that is just a necessary evil, something that will one day, or it should be our goal to get rid of it. He uses surprisingly biblical terms to describe this view of work as a four-letter word. When God foreclosed on Eden, he condemned Adam and Eve to go to work. Work has never recovered from that humiliation. From the beginning... The Lord's word said that work was something bad, a punishment, the great stone of mortality and toil laid upon a human spirit that might otherwise soar in the infinite weightless playfulness of grace. That quote could not be more wrong. This idea of work as something that will one day be abolished completely doesn't doesn't have what scripture actually says at its heart. Work is not a necessary evil. It's actually something that is a good gift from God. Scripture itself says that God actually created us to work. Genesis chapter 2, we see the original charge of God to Adam. He says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So here we see, before the fall, before sin, before evil enters the world, God has declared everything is good. In fact, when he comes to the end of his creation, he says it's very good. Before all of the the evil enters the world, God has a job for Adam. Adam is to tend the garden. He's meant to follow in God the Father's footsteps to be a cultivator, to be a creator, to be a worker. God intends for Adam to work hard, just like God did in the six days of creation. And so, if we are going to work rightly, we have to start right here. We have to start with reminding ourselves that work, for all its faults, for all its failures, for all its frustrations, at its core is a good thing. Perhaps surprisingly in our culture today, work is actually a good gift from God. If you think about it, we catch little tastes of this all the time in our work. The satisfaction that we get when we are working on our house and it finally gets clean. The satisfaction that comes when we repaint a room and we finally get it decorated and reorganized just the way that we want it. The satisfaction of a student who finally finishes their paper or lengthy project or test, even though it might be tinged with a bit of anxiety. 
The satisfaction that comes from helping a customer find exactly what they're looking for. The satisfaction that comes from seeing employees and coworkers meet their goals. Yesterday, prime example of this, I think my wife probably thought I was crazy. I spent, I spent most of the day building a playground set for our kids, three and one. And spent the entire day building this, and that's, that's not the focus here. I finally got done yesterday afternoon, and I just stood in the house and just stared at it. I just stared at it. People would be talking to me, and i just continue staring out the window. I'm satisfied in what I've accomplished. That satisfaction that we get in something that we have accomplished is a little taste of the fact that work is a good gift from God. All of these things are faint glimpses of the inherent goodness of work that God created it with. But more than that, work is not just something we do for a paycheck. Work is not just something that we do so that way we can live off of. Work is primarily about contribution, how we contribute to society, not about compensation. It would be wrong for us to look at those who are physically unable to work those who stay home with children, those who are in between jobs, those who are too young to work, those who have retired as people who are exempt from this calling and this gift of work. You see, God's original charge, God's original plan for work was to be focused on cultivation and contribution. In other words, what are we doing to follow God the Creator's work of cultivation that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? What are we doing to contribute to our family, to our church, to our community, to our world? Working rightly doesn't just mean what we're doing between our eight, and eight to five job or whenever your hours are. It includes caring for your aging parents. It includes changing diapers. It includes doing laundry. It includes fixing up your house and on and on and on. God created us to work and we have to know how to work rightly. And the first way to work rightly is to understand what it actually means for us to work we could go on and on about this idea of work, but no specifically Exodus's words on work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. And also note verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In verse 9, we see the what. We see that we should be working for six days. And in verse 11, we see the why, or perhaps more accurately, the precedent. We should work for six days because we are following the rhythm that God set up when he created the world. Work for six days, rest for one. So go back to Genesis chapter 1. Look at the pattern that God uh, establishes for us when he creates the universe. A refrain pops up over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verses 3 and 5 set the, the pattern for us. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. For the most part, when we read the, the rest of chapter 1, we see this exact same pattern 
uh, come up over and over and over again. Notice the pattern. This is a three-part pattern. First, God works. He, he goes to work and, and he creates something. Second, at the end of God's work, he, he steps back, he observes his work, and he declares that it is good. And then third, God rests. It's the exact same pattern that we see over and over in Genesis chapter 1. We see this pattern of work, observation, or maybe a better way of saying that is satisfaction, and then rest. God goes home, so to speak, and he takes a break. Here's what's important for us to note when we look at the pattern of God in creation. If we're going to work rightly, we notice something is surprisingly absent from God's work. At no point does God work late. At no point does God stay after hours to keep on toiling away in order for him to get one more thing done. God has a plan for the day, and he accomplishes it. After that, he hangs up his tools, so to speak. He goes home, and he rests. Late nights at work, they're they're unavoidable. I get that. I, I was the son of a school teacher. I've participated in a number of late-night meetings as a pastor, but there's, there's this important piece of, of God's work. It's about contentment. God is content after he's, after he's done working. God is content with what he has accomplished for the day. Notice what else is absent. At no point does God get frustrated over what he didn't accomplish. At no point does God focus on all that he has to get done tomorrow, all that he didn't get done today, that he doesn't appreciate his work. God works, but then he also pauses and is satisfied with what he accomplished. There's this contentment here. God is the infinite God. It would have been easy, so easy for God to just create everything with a breath, just to do it instantly. And yet God creates intentionally over six days and rests on the seventh, I think, to set a pattern for us as well. Ask yourself, how often are you so stressed about what you didn't get done today that you can't appreciate what you did accomplish? How often are you so focused on tomorrow that you can't appreciate today, the good work done today. The pattern, the precedent of creation is one of contentment, just as God in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1. Finally, notice that God rests each night. The creation story of Genesis chapter 1, it reads like a craftsman going to work. He wakes up in the morning, he heads out to the job site, he does his work, he's, he's satisfied with it, and then he comes home and he rests each night. Contentment permeates every single facet of God's work in Genesis chapter 1. And so for us to work rightly, to follow God in, in working rightly so that we can rest fully, a significant portion of that is our mindset when it comes to work. Are you content with what you have accomplished? Do you beat yourself up for not getting enough done? Do your to-do lists that always spill into the next day overshadow your satisfaction in what you have accomplished today? Your job is not going to be perfect. No job ever is. You might want to look for another job. That's completely fine. But part of having the right view of work is to have a heart of contentment. 
It's to be content with what God has called you to do, to follow the pattern set by God in creation. Work, be satisfied, and rest. But of course, the fourth commandment is not just a call to work, it's also a call to rest. It's, it's primarily a charge to rest. The Sabbath is all about rest, and it's far more than just rigid observance of a day. Many are familiar with uh, Jesus' Uh, Jesus' experience with the Pharisees in, uh, in the Gospels, how, how rigid they were with their do's and don'ts of the Sabbath. I, I read a story this past week of a modern-day example of this. This man went to an Orthodox Jewish synagogue, and there was this discussion taking place about the Sabbath and what was right and what was wrong. A, this is how he explained it. When asked if it was legal to load a dishwasher on the eve of the Sabbath— the rabbi responded that such an activity would not be considered work if the dishwasher were not loaded systematically by sorting the dishes. If you throw the dishes in pell-mell, that would be exactly perfectly fine. So if you want to, according to this, uh, accomplish uh, or, or keep the Sabbath, then you just need to throw your dishes into the dishwasher rather than stacking them and being efficient so that way you are honoring God by keeping this commandment. These are the rigid examples, a modern-day rigid example of how Jesus uh, dealt with Pharisees in the first century, and they're relatively comical. But it also reveals to us something important about the Sabbath, what God is actually trying to teach us in this commandment, and that is this. Sabbath rest begins with your mindset. It begins with your mindset. You aren't truly resting. You aren't truly keeping the Sabbath if you don't have the right mindset. And so we ask, well, what is that mindset? We'll consider two categories that are used in this passage for why God gives us this commandment to rest. There are theological reasons as well as practical reasons for the Sabbath. So let's first look at the theological. Uh, remember our text again. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, at the very beginning here, one of the charges of the Sabbath observance is for us to keep this day holy, to keep it set apart. In other words, this is a day that we rest, but rest with a purpose. It's a rest that reveals to us eternal truths about who God is and who we are as well. So why does God give us the Sabbath? Consider three theological reasons here. First, God gives us the Sabbath for contentment and obedience. For contentment and obedience. We've already looked at the word contentment a lot, to, a lot this morning when we are focusing on work, but I think it's worth mentioning again here. We live in a day and age where there is a cultural pressure to accumulate more and more to acquire more and more wealth, and it's astounding. This charge flies completely in the face of the cultural pressure that says the only way for you to truly live is to maximize profit and income. Rarely, when we have the opportunity to acquire more in today's context, do we ever ask if it's right or if it's necessary to do so. You see, the notion of taking a day off once a week was ridiculous 
when God issued this command. This is a time before the weekend. It was a time where you would work all week, every single day. Why on earth would you take a day off when that meant there was one less day for you to accomplish what you could to maximize your profit and to acquire more wealth? So in that context, the the command of a Sabbath is given to us to remind us to be content, to remind us to be content with what God has given us, but it's also a command to obedience. Remember, this command is ultimately about loving God, to loving God wholeheartedly. And so it's an act of obedience and it's, it's an act of faith that God is going to provide for us when we cease labor for one day a week. It's a physical, tangible expression of love toward God to rest from your labor. Second, God gives us the Sabbath to remind us of who he is and who we are of who he is and who we are. There's only one infinite being in the entire universe, and you are not him. God created us to need rest. God created each and every one of us to get tired, to remind us that we are not God. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is giving a number of parables about the kingdom of God, and one of them, he he gives us a telling reminder of who he is and, and, and who we are. Mark chapter 4 says this, And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. We are the the farmer. We, We go scatter seed, and then we go to sleep each night, and yet the seed continues to grow. It's a reminder to us that it's God's work, not ours. Have you ever considered why God has created each and every one of us to need a mini Sabbath each day? Why we need to sleep. Scientists today still cannot fully understand why we need sleep. But the answer from Scripture is clear as day. Why do we have to do something so unproductive? Why do we have to do something each day that is so useless? Why do we spend approximately one-third of our existence doing literally nothing? It is to remind us that God is the one who is ultimately at work, not us, and we merely join him in his work. The parable of the seed growing is, is a powerful reminder of why God gave us the Sabbath. It's to continually remind us of who we are and who God is. Third theological reason, God gives us the Sabbath to combat pride and practical atheism. To combat pride and practical atheism. Closely related to the last one. Uh, this, one uh, this one's closely related All too often, we have a tendency to act and behave in a way that says that we are essential for blank to succeed. Whatever that blank is, it can be ministry, it can be a project at work, it can be whatever. We have this tendency to believe that we are essential for it to succeed. We can be like the Greek titan Atlas who find, we we begin to think that the entire world rests on our shoulders. And if it's not the entire world, then at least it's this little corner of it. It's a way of living as a practical atheist to not actually believe that God is the one who is in charge. And the Sabbath kills such a thought to let go, to unplug, to remember things that existed far before us and things will continue to exist far after us unless Christ returns is a reminder to us that God is the one who works, not us. 
The Sabbath teaches us many things about God, teaches us many things about us. It's a theological reason why God has given it to us. But as we alluded to earlier, it is also very practical. We need rest. After all, some of us are guilty of abusing the call to work. Others of us are uh, are guilty of abusing the call to rest. The idea of Sabbath, the idea of rest is one of the most important themes found in the Old Testament. It's not just found here in this passage. God doesn't command Israel to rest just once a week. He also calls them to rest in in other ways as well. Consider these, there, there are five categories of rest found in the Old Testament. First, each and every day there is a call to rest daily. It is the daily rest or or sleep. God creates each and every one of us to need to take many Sabbaths to rest each and every day for rest and rejuvenation. Psalm 3, Psalm 4 are all about how God continues to be at work even while we are resting. The idea of a Sabbath every week doesn't mean that we work the other 144 hours out of the week. We rest each and every day. We follow the pattern that God set in creation. We work, we are satisfied in our work, and then we rest. Second, there is the weekly rest or the Sabbath, which is charged or commanded here. God calls us to take a more lengthy rest each and every week for intentional rest and restoration, rejuvenation. As we mentioned earlier, this gives us, or this is given to us to remind us of who God is and who we are, but also because we need restoration. We need rejuvenation each week. Third, there's this category of yearly rests or holidays that are found throughout the Old Testament. The ancient Hebrew calendar was filled with a number of festivals, feasts, what we would call holidays today, that that are found throughout the year and lasted anywhere from a day to a week long. These were intentional times for the Israelites to cease from their labor, to rest, and to celebrate what God had done for them. It was a charge to rest for an extended period each and every year. Fourth, there were seasonal rests, or what is called Sabbath years in the Old Testament. Every seven years, the Israelites were required or commanded to not plant seed in their fields, but actually to take an entire year as a Sabbath. This time of lengthy rest was important for God's plan of reminding Israel to rest, to remind Israel not to, uh, to work the land beyond uh, its breaking point, as agricultural science today shows, which is why we rotate crops. It was a charge for people to rest. Fifth, generational rest, or the year of Jubilee. About every 50 years, or if you say a Sabbath's worth of Sabbath years, so seven times seven equals 49, there was this charge to to celebrate a year of Jubilee. This was a, a year where debts were canceled, slaves were freed, land was restored to those who had fallen on hard times over the past generation. And as with the Sabbath, this was a way for God to remind people to be content with their possessions to be content with what God had given them and to not focus on accumulating more and more, to become more covetous and covetous as they acquired more, but to remember that God will provide for their needs. Rest is an important part of the way God structures things in the Old Testament. It's an important part of his plan for his people. And it's impossible for us to plan 
uh, to plan our lives on this exact same pattern today. I'd like you to go into your boss tomorrow and say you'd like an entire year off every seven years. Or to take an entire year off and uh, have all your debts canceled. Or uh, any of the other things that happened during the year of Jubilee. These things aren't possible for us to follow today, and yet there's a good pattern that's set up here. We should follow the exact same pattern that's found in Scripture. Rest daily. Take time each week to, or each day to rest. Don't focus on what you didn't accomplish, but focus on what you did and give thanks to God for it. Rest weekly. Take a day each week where you don't work. We speak, we'll speak to what true rest looks like here in a moment, but right now, be intentional in taking time to rest from your week, to pause from your regular labor and do something different. Rest yearly. As much as you are able, take advantage of holidays. Take advantage of your vacation time to get some extended time away. It doesn't mean you have to go, on a, go anywhere, actually, but just take some time to not do anything extravagant, but just take a break. Rest seasonally. And when I say seasonally here, I mean in your seasons and rhythms of your life. Following the seasons of your life, and each and every person here is in a different season of life, take some extra time every few years for a break. It may mean setting aside a little bit of money now each month so that way you can take a nicer vacation in a few years. It doesn't have to be lavish, but take some time each and every few years for some time for your soul. And then finally, rest generationally. What if, instead of facing a midlife crisis, we were people who went through a midlife transition, who gave thought to what it looks like as our season of life changes, as we become empty nesters, or as we reach the the halfway point in our career, what would it look like for us to, to pause and take some time for us to think through what this would look like to follow the pattern of the year of Jubilee, to look at what God has done in our lives vocationally to this point and what God is calling us to do in the years to come. Whatever pattern we follow, let us establish consistent and healthy rhythms of work and rest because that's what the fourth commandment is all about. You see, the the call of the Sabbath, this call to rest, it actually takes a lot of work. It takes a whole lot of effort. It takes a whole lot of planning to prepare to rest intentionally, to give thought to your rest. If you are not intentional in what your rest will look like, you're going to squander it on things that actually don't leave you feeling rejuvenated at all. So what should a rest look like? If we're looking for a rest that provides restoration, if we're looking for the right mindset of the Sabbath, what should it look like? At the beginning of our time together, we mentioned this idea of burnout, and it's a spiritual, emotional, relational, physical exhaustion. I think that's a great place to start when looking at ways to develop or cultivate a healthy rest. A rest that leaves you feeling rejuvenated should care for your soul. It should provide spiritually for us. That's why so many people refer to Sundays as their Sabbath. A chance to gather in worship with other Christians uh, is, is crucial for our souls. And this true mindset of rest gives us thought, gives us a pause on how we can care for our souls in a way that turns them ever more toward God. Now, in the same way that the Sabbath is a time for spiritual rest, it's also a time for rest 
mentally and emotionally. And I can think of no better way than to turn off all of your electronics. Turn off your phone, your television, your computer, all, everything else. Do something different for uh, maybe not the whole day, but an intentional time during your time away. These distractions can increasingly weigh on our minds. They can elevate our stress rather than giving us rest. A worthwhile rest also cares for our relationships. Take time to think of what relationships matter to you and invest in them. And if you can't think of any of those relationships that actually matter to you, consider how to cultivate those types of relationships with other people. And of course, this type of rest also cares for ourselves physically. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, gifts like food, gifts like being outdoors. We're holistic creatures, then we should care for the way our bodies work as well. Sabbath is a mindset. Now, out on the, on the table, out in the, the lobby, there is a little insert. Uh, it, it got cut out because we put the bylaw insert in. They were supposed to be in your bulletins. But it's, it's a little worksheet that shares how you can thoughtfully think through with your family or by yourself, how you can intentionally plan a Sabbath that helps you to think through each and each of every one of these areas to give intentional thought on how to make your Sabbath restful, restorative, and rejuvenating. And remember, it starts with a mindset. So the Sabbath is a call to work, it's a, it's a call to rest, but there's one more piece I want us to focus on, and this is probably the most important for us this morning. The Sabbath is a call to something greater. The Sabbath is a call to something greater. In other words, earthly rest realigns us for eternal rest. Our earthly rest realigns us for eternal rest. You don't have to talk with Christians very long about the Sabbath before there's quite a bit of discussion that comes up. People will ask questions like, does the Sabbath still apply today? If it does still apply, should it be on Saturday or should it be on Sunday? Questions about whether people are breaking the Sabbath when we work on Sundays. Or are we guilty of breaking the Sabbath when our kids play in athletic tournaments on Sundays? What does Scripture have to say about all these questions? New Testament spends a lot of time talking about the, the role of the Sabbath, discussing the role of the Sabbath. In the Gospels, Jesus uh, declares that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, in each of the uh, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus and his disciples are walking through this field, and Jesus' disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath by the Pharisees. Notice how Jesus responds to this accusation. He, being Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which, is not, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read the law, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's follow Jesus' reasoning here. Jesus says that each and every Sunday, or excuse me, each and every Sabbath, the priests break the Sabbath by ministering to God on that day. They are working in the temple, but they are guiltless before God because God values their service more than rigid legalism. Now remember what the temple is. The temple is symbolic of God's presence among humanity. 
And Jesus says there's something greater than the temple present. It's a reference to himself. So if it's permissible for the priests to break the Sabbath, to serve in the temple, the location of God's presence on earth, how much more is it okay for his disciples to break the Sabbath in order to serve him? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' declaration here is absolutely astounding. First, he says that he's God. He's declaring that he is God. No wonder the Pharisees want to kill him at this point. But more important for our, our focus here, what he's saying is that the Sabbath itself was given to humanity as a shadow of what is to come. It points to something greater, namely himself. He Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He, Jesus, is the one who truly gives his people rest. Just before Matthew chapter 12, where this story takes place, we look in Matthew chapter 11 and we see this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath rest given to Israel in the Old Testament is to stir within them these longings for something greater. These longings that cannot be satisfied with an earthly rest, but longings that can only be satisfied an eternal rest that is found in Christ. That's what Paul argues for in Colossians chapter 2 when he says this, Therefore no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Rest is crucial, but the rigid observance of the Sabbath, this rigid observance of rest has already accomplished what it was given to Israel for. It was made for them to long for Christ, long for something greater than what they had, long for eternal rest in God's kingdom. The Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath has come. And the Sabbaths that we experience today merely point us to it. They're merely a shadow of what is to come. You'll notice when we began this morning that we said that the fourth commandment declares uh, that a Sabbath is for restoration as well as for realignment. And we've, we've spent a lot of time looking at restoration, ways that we, when we get tired, when we need to rest, it, it, it rejuvenates us. But it's also for realignment because your rest is meant to realign your heart to more greatly desire the eternal rest that is found only in Christ. That's why we say that Sabbath is first and foremost a mindset. It's not focused on a day. Taking a day off in and of itself does nothing to realign your heart. It does nothing to realign your heart to more greatly desire God. It does nothing to realign your heart to more greatly desire the rest that is to come for God's people. It does nothing for us to, to remind us of the great rest that Jesus offers. But when you recognize that Sabbath is a mindset first, when you pursue that rest that has this idea of realignment in mind, then it stokes the fires of affection in your heart to greatly desire the great Sabbath rest of God's people. 
when we look at the idea of Sabbath, we were reminded that God gives us the Sabbath for restoration to actually rest and well, as well as for realignment, to turn our hearts to God. So what does a good rest look like? Well, it's taking time to restore your soul spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, physically, and it means taking some time to stir up and realign our longings with the great Sabbath rest that is to come. So what does that mean for us this morning? For some of us, this passage reminds us that we need to repent of our refusal to rest to repent of buying into the lie that busyness is a badge of honor. We need to repent of the pride that continues to keep us working, the lack of contentment that mars our work. We need to rest. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we need to rest badly. Maybe that's you. For others of us this morning, maybe we need to repent of, of the ways that we squander our rest. We may take time off, but we rarely have this Sabbath mindset. Our time off is not life-giving. It's not rejuvenating because we don't have the right mindset. We need to repent of the ways that we've, repl- we've wasted this incredible gift that rest is. And we need to give intentional thought to our rest, and we need it badly. And maybe that's you. And still for others this morning, as we talk about this great Sabbath rest for God's people, maybe you realize that you find yourself outside of that rest. As we came uh, to gather for worship this morning, I mentioned chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. Talk about the context of rest in this, this idea of rest that is found in salvation. And maybe you find yourself at a place where you look at your life and, and you realize you don't know the Lord of the Sabbath. You don't know this person who gives us rest, who calls us to cease from our strivings and rest in Christ. Hear these words from Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Therefore, as the, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the, God, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Today, if you find yourself in a place where you are amongst the, the wilderness generation, Those who did not believe the the promises of God, they had unbelieving hearts and they perished outside of the land of rest, the rest God promised for his people in Canaan, as well as the greater rest of, of God's Sabbath rest for his people. If you find yourself lacking that peace, lacking that contentment that comes through what Christ has done for us, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Remember what Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Today, let's find rest from our strivings in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great rest that you offer to your people. We ask that you would help us to rest in you that we would rest in a way that honors you each and every week, but also that it would stir within us affections, desires for a greater rest.
a rest that is found at your side in what you have accomplished for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.